Welcome to another episode of Nerds Amalgamated. I'm the DJ, and with me today I have the Professor. Hello. How's it going? Pretty well. Um, you know, things are calming down here. Back to the office on Monday. Oh, you miss it, don't you? Not as much as I'd like to. <laughs> oh, come on. You must love working from home, hey? It's pretty good. The best part is having, like, home-cooked lunch every day. <laughs> and, yeah, it's a lot easier to cook something for lunch if I'm at home than at work where I only have a microwave. Yep. And also not to mention the fact that foods around your workplace must get very expensive. Yeah. Oh, man. Also, I bet you must miss the work chair, hey? Oh, I brought that home with me. Oh, very nice. I've got a a really nice office chair, so I brought that home with me for the past two months. And now I've got to take it back, so I'm going back to my crappy old desk chair and not looking forward to it. Oh, that's not going to help, is it? No. Uh, what, what have I been up to? I've been I've been looking at some very cursed images uh, of these past few days besides working. Like, and, and I will say this, that if I, I might put some on the show notes and, and boy, they are very cursed. Are we going to have to put a, like a content warning on there? <laughs> this podcast has been rated M for mature audiences. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Like I, I saw one. The I saw this one the other day, and I just went, no, no, no. <laughs> like it's a, it's basically someone did a Sailor Moon redraw with Jar Jar Binks's face on it. Yeah, no, <laughs> let's let's never talk of this again. <laughs> But yeah, you are right though. Things have been calming down, and everybody's um, get, everyone's getting back to normal. Although winter is coming, so yeah. Brace just, yourself. Yep, <laughs> things are, things are gonna get very very crazy in the next few months. But um, yeah, so we, let's go to our first story. Our first story is a bionic eye, and it's giving people sight. We can rebuild him. <laughs> we have the technology. Uh, so you, you've selected this story, Professor. So what, what, what's the story about? Well, I think you've pretty much covered it. Uh, so there's a, they've developed a bionic eye that <clears throat> similar in shape and function to a human eye. Uh, it doesn't have great resolution. And the big issue is, of course, hooking it into the optic nerve. Mm. So basically an, an eye that does 60p resolution. Oh, cool. Yeah, like it's obviously not great, but it's better than nothing. Yeah, that's true. And I think if I was completely blind, I wouldn't mind having a robot eye. I the, mean, um, I, I would love to have a robotic eye and, and with with some certain extras onto it, like maybe uh, subtitles, you know, if, if I'm seeing someone talking like Chinese, for example, and I don't understand Chinese, I, I can have the robotic eye go, this is the subtitles for what the hell they're talking about. Yeah, the thing is, we're actually closer to that now than ever before. Right. Ten years ago, I would have said that was basically impossible because do you know how hard it is to do live translation? But very, very hard. Got, yeah. Like, you can use apps on your phone to go on a holiday and have a full conversation with someone face-to-face using the phone as a, a translator device, just yeah. like in Star Trek. Yeah. Can you imagine, though, like, well, like you, you holding the translation device and then um, that, and you press the replay and it's, cursing in, and it's cursing in English? Well, I feel like you'd react the same way you would if they were swearing at you in any other language. Yeah. Oh, that, but it'd be pretty funny, though. We're like, oh, oh, shit. <laughs> they have a translation device. Yeah. Correct. 
<laughs> yeah, so it's um, really not a great eyeball yet, but it's designed to mimic uh, a natural eye. So I'm hoping that would make it easier to patch into the um, the brain interface. Yeah, they're saying that, um, looking at the um, journal article here, they're saying uh, he would present an electrochemical eye with the hemispherical retina made of a high-density array of nanowires mimicking the photoreceptors of the human retina. Uh, the, the device design has a high degree of structural similarity to a human eye with the potential to achieve high imaging resolution. When it- no, that's potential to achieve. Ah. So right now, it, like I've been saying, it's a bit of shit. It's apparently good enough to make out a letter, but um, they don't say what, like, we don't have access to the full article here, and they don't say what um, what font and text size. Like, if you can make out human letters, that's great. If you can read a book, if you have to read a, uh, if you have to read all your books in size seventy two font, that's not great. <laughs> I can't see this big sign in front of me. Yeah. Imagine driving with that with that type of eyes, though. I'm hoping we have self-driving cars before that's a an option. Although here's here's a th- here's a thing we have to we have to take into account though. Like if we once once we get the human once we get the nano the biomimetic um, eye, do you reckon we, this will take away the the whole options of contact lenses and laser eye surgery? No, I think we're a long way from replacing the eye. I or supplementing it. I think. Um, it'll be a long time before people want to replace their eyeball preemptively. I think like most implants and um, prosthetics and stuff, it'll be an option for people who have already lost everything. Yeah. Because uh, even the best prosthetics and implants aren't quite as good as uh, a human, natural human body part. Yeah. And it's not only the whole um, trying to connect nanowires with the uh, nerves, with, with nerve endings and stuff. There's also, they have to deal with the whole um, rejection syndrome as well. Yeah. And I'm wondering if um, maybe it would be easier to take this eye that naturally, well, that is designed to mimic a human eye, feeding its data through a some sort of transformation. And instead of patching into the optic nerve, patching into an electrode in the brain, like a cochlear implant does. Yeah. So cochlear uses implants directly in your brain. It um, skips skips the, the whole rest of the auditory system because it's easier to work directly on the brain than it is to work on your inner ear. Yeah. Well, and the other also, the other possibility that um, with the, with the biomimetic eye is the, um, can you imagine where would the images go? Like, uh, let's say, like, you know how with, with uh, mobile phones, they will always say like, okay, we've got a cloud to save all these images and whatnot. Yeah, that's uh, another question. But yeah. um, I think that's less of an issue than the phones we carry around with us right now. Yeah. And so it looks like, I don't know, I've made a mistake. So it does bypass part of your inner ear by going straight to the cochlea not to the brain. So a cochlear implant doesn't actually bypass the auditory nerve. Yeah. It just bypasses the most of your um most of your hearing system. You, yeah. You know what's gonna be really cool though with the with the bio with those bio eyes? Can you imagine like uh in the middle of you surfing the internet with your eyes? <laughs> I would love that. 
<laughs> like Google Glass, but better. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, it's, it's, it would raise a couple of questions, like where do the images go when you look at it? <laughs> Can you imagine, like, oh no, this guy's looking at porn with his bio eyes. <laughs> I mean, sure, people are probably going to do that, but who's going to care? Like. <laughs> It's not like the, the police are going to knock down your door for using your eye for adult content. Oh no! no even funnier, they'll be just jamming your eyes in the middle of in the middle of the night. It's going like, oh, he's watching porn, jam the device, and he'll be like, I can't see. That I opens can't. up uh, an interesting ethical question. Like, it's probably completely ethically wrong to um, to target somebody's body like that. Either way, but. Will it be a, a question like when people start getting direct implants to talk them into the internet and stuff? Is it ethical to cut them off? It'd be similar to uh, it'd be like it'd be it'd be similar to Robocop. Remember um, this by is um, the hand needle that he had to access it, and, and then he would jam it jam it into computer devices and access information. Yeah, it'd be kind of similar to that kind of, uh, that kind of deal. What from what I can call, but. Uh, Oh, that does pose an interesting question, though. And it'd be also interesting, like, uh, like what type if businesses get involved in the eye in in the eye industry, go like, okay, you've got level one, so you can only access basic information stuff. If um, if you need like high highly classified information stuff, okay, you need level five eyes. Please know that I don't like the way this is going. Please don't <laughs> dystopia this. <laughs> Hey, hey, wonders of technology. Wonders of technology. But um, yeah, so I'm reading the article. They're saying that the researchers are already lining up trials in both animals and humans. Still, there's a lot of work left to be done, and the scientists are quick to note that the device in its current state is just the start of what might be possible in a few years' time. So... Can you what do you reckon? Uh, you reckon this will be this will be possible in about five five to ten years? Uh, I don't really know. Possibly. Um, I think the there's a lot of people working on replacement eyes. I think the sticking point is going to be the eye brain interface. So whether that's a um, direct brain implant or something that interfaces with the optic nerve, it's hard to say. But it's a cool concept. It's a cool idea, though. Yeah. And the other, the also there, there is one more thing we also have to take into um put into account the um the price of doing the bionic eye. It'd be pretty expensive. It probably will for the first few generations. But yeah, that's you, true of any sort of uh, prosthetic and most medical stuff. Can you imagine, like, uh, it's saying to the um, saying to one of those recipients, like, "Oh, I've got the first gen um, bionic eye. Where have you got? I've got the tenth gen." Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that happened. Um, what would be interesting to know, though, is with um, with what sort of, the deaf community, they like to uh, sort of, well, some deaf people like to ostracize people who get cochlear implants. So there's a particular subculture of, uh, of deaf people who just don't agree with getting a cochlear. They think it, it takes you away from your community. The, they've developed a deaf community and it feels like you're, yeah, you're leaving the community if you get a cochlear. So I'm wondering if, um, yeah, it's, it, yeah, that's a very, that'd be very interesting though. Like with the yeah, I wonder if if blind people have a community like that. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting idea though. Yeah, I think um, prosthetics that do this sort of stuff will be a big you know, a big deal in the future. 
and I hope it's sooner rather than later. Fair enough. Um, so anyway, so I'm moving along. So I've got an interesting story for you guys. So picture yourself having a career that you've done at a young age. You didn't go to school. You didn't go to college. You straight you went straight into this trade. You worked hard. You earned your paycheck and you put food on the table. It ain't much, but it's honest work. Then the worst thing happened. Mechanization. Automation. A machine comes along and does your job. And unlike you, a machine doesn't need to take breaks, doesn't get sick, doesn't need to take paid vacations, it doesn't need a dental or healthcare plan, it doesn't need any of that stuff. And and instead of working with the measly 10 hours a day, this machine can work 24 hours around the clock, 365 days a year. You have been probably do your job better than you. Yep, you have been replaced by by a machine. So uh, during industrializations, it's happened to the miners, it's happened to the farmers, and it's happened to the factory workers. It can happen to anyone, even people you can least expect. It was only a matter of time before something came along and revolutionized this mark. And it finally happened. There's a new actress on the on the scene, and the actress says an actress says offering something different. Introducing Miquela, Miquela Sosa or Lil Miquela, who is a character um that was started by a Californian textile company named Brud. Um, so this project started in 2016 as an Instagram profile. The account detailed a fictional narrative which presents Miquela as a CGI character and model in conflict with other digital projects while marketing a variety of brands, primarily in fashion. As a marketing tool, Michaela has featured product endorsements for streetwears and luxury brands such as Calvin Klein and Prada. And just recently, uh, the Creative Artists Agency, or the CAA in short, um, which is a agency for, which is a Hollywood agency um, for Hollywood actors, um, has signed a Michaela. So... Mikaela is completely original. She's not based on a an actual uh, a, an actual person, is she? No, she's not. She's fully um, she's fully digital. So okay. she's not. Well, actually, the more dis- more descriptive way of saying it, uh, she's not genuine AI. She's scripted and voiced by humans. She is an animated character. Because I remember recently a um, a company was going to do a CGI. Uh, which is like James Dean, as in the oh, dead yeah. one. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And they're going to get, like, completely replace an actor with a dead actor who obviously can't act anymore at all. So it's not like, but he died quite a while ago, so it's not like with Carrie Fisher, how they had just a couple of scenes in the new Star Wars with her after she died. And, uh, or actually, they did do that um, uh, Peter Cushing, who died a while back with completely original scenes for Rogue One, I think. But um, yeah, so... You're saying she's apart from her voice, she's completely original. She's part. Um, she is completely original. Yes. Uh, so Requela, who was, which, who was a 19 year old British, um, Bra- not British, uh, Brazilian American model, pop singer, influencer, and self described change seeking robot with a dr- with the drip. What is the drip? I have no idea. Is this what it feels like to be old? <laughs> yep. Um, why not hip anymore? <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> the drip. <laughs> what is the drip? So, okay, I'm seeing. Uh, um, so, what from according to Urban Dictionary, the drip is basically 
having a large amount of swag typically used in the context of clothing. Okay, and we can't just say having swag. <laughs> that's I I know that is this is Urban Dictionary. What can we say? But uh, yeah, so. The CAA will be working with Miquela in areas including TV, film, and brand strategy and commercial endorsements, raising the prospects of a movie or show featuring the character. You know, just a thought, is it actually Miquela or is it Michaela? I think it's Michaela, but Miquela... It's spelled with a Q, but I think it's pronounced with a, a K. Yeah. So it's interest. It's it's going to be interesting. I mean, her and uh, her her and TV and film. I mean, she doesn't really emote much. No, but they can work on that. Yeah, like so. It's gonna. Uh, and what's going to be funny is, can you imagine all these um actresses going like airing out their grievances about this? Yeah, I do think it's funny that now the roles that people thought would never be replaced by robots are being replaced by robots. Yeah, can you imagine Hollywood actresses going on Twitter to complain, saying that their grueling heart work is being undermined by a cartoon? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like, I think it'll be a few years before we're seeing fully digital movies. Yeah, and, 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 uh, I bet you, I, resp- I bet you, someone will respond back saying like, "A machine has come along and, and, and it can do your job much better than you. you. You are being replaced. The machines are taking over." It happened to the farm workers. It happened to the factory workers. It's now happening to you. The machines are taking over. Skynet is happening. You cannot compete. Resistance is futile. Deus Ex Human Revolution. DJ, calm down. <laughs> hey, I bet you someone will, someone will come up with that line. I bet yeah. you someone will come up with that line. I mean, I'm sure someone's going to be upset about it. Yep. And, you know, it's perfectly natural to be upset that you're losing your job. Yeah, yeah. And I just hope that we can get the sort of societal change we need before this happens to everyone. Although, like, some people... Some people will be pointing out the same wish. Some people, some of the actresses will point out the same issues, same as the workers who were replaced by automation. Although not many people will realize that Michaela is a, is a real person behind the scenes, voicing the character and wearing a mocap suit to capture the emo- movements. It's still a real person putting the work in it. She still has to sleep, eat, take oh, breaks, okay. and yeah. So she is still mocap. I think she, I think so, yeah. So she's basically just a CGI skin on a human actress. Yeah, yeah. And Michaela which is presumably how the James Dean uh, replacement is going to go. Yeah, and Michaela is completely anonymous. No one has any idea who the, who the real person is behind. Nobody has any idea who she is. Nobody knows who she, what she really looks like. Nobody knows her real name, which means in, in her IRL life. She can live a normal life hanging out with whomever she wants. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder what she's getting paid, though, like compared to a your standard actress who does these sorts of roles. I think she, I, I think it would just be like ro- it'd be a royalty thing. Like, oh, yeah, um, I think the agency will, pay, will get paid more than the actress because it's a digital actress kind of thing. Yeah. Now, yeah. what I reckon is next, though, is um, Adobe was working on a voice synthesizer that would take samples from a, an actual person talking and manipulate them and create fully uh, fully artificial voice lines. So this is more along the line of a lines of a deep fake except she's actually designed to be um 
you know, there's an actual actress wearing a, a suit, so it'll come out better. Yeah. And uh, for and, those- uh, the, so Adobe was working on voice synthesizers, and their first subject was, uh, what's his name? David Attenborough. Oh, okay. So if we can do voices perfectly soon, um, <laughs> then we're not that far off from completely replacing the human element. Yeah. And here's another interesting thing for you, though. So, um, I, uh, like, it'll be interesting. Uh, another point that Michaela can have any body type, any face type, or anything she wants. Michaela doesn't need to go to the gym. She doesn't need to buy makeup. She can change her body type, makeup, hair color, absolutely anything with a push Man, of a that button. That would be nice. <laughs> like, can... push a button and be skinny. I wouldn't have yeah. to go to the gym anymore. That would be so nice. She can she can appeal to all flavors of the market, basically. Yeah, yeah. And I could see I could see Hollywood trying to deplatform her because Michaela is better than any actress. Well, have you seen some of what Hollywood's pushing these days? Humor me. Oh, I don't have anything specific. I was just taking the piss. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I know. But it, yeah, Hollywood nowadays it's it's a dead industry at the moment. Like no one really. It, no, no one really cares about Hollywood these days. Like they're just churning out the usual Hollywood movie. It's just the same old stories and what. Yeah, I think um, with things like Netflix being into indie movies, I wonder if Hollywood will go sort of uh, <clears throat> have its indie moment, sort of like the games industry in the last ten years, where oh, we had this um, this huge burst of indies doing stuff that the you know the big industry didn't want to do and completely blowing it out of the park. Yeah. And then the, the industry caught up, the indies got super saturated, and now it's too hard to pick out a good indie game. So we just go and play AAA games again. Yep. Uh, well, so I was reading another article about um, Michaela, and uh, they're saying that Michaela has cultivated a passionate fandom and now finds herself in the unique position of both reflecting and influencing culture. Um, the and there was also stated that there are unprecedented opportunities for high fidelity virtual characters to push the bounds of what we've seen in any context in advertising to date. We look yeah. forward to developing the opportunity with uh, CAA. Well, this is pretty. It's exciting in a uh, in an odd way. <laughs> it's just like you know, it sucks that people are getting put out of their work, but yeah. it's also automation is a huge social driver. So many people going out of work and not being able to find more jobs because all the jobs are automated. What are they going to do? Where are they going to go? And we're at a crossroads now where we can either have a dystopia where nobody has work because robots do it all, or we can have a utopia where no one does work because robots do it all. (laughs) Uh, But here's here's an interesting thing, though. So if they go with the utopia thing, it'll be like Wally. Yeah, sort of like Wally, except hopefully we'd uh, take better care of our health. Yep. <laughs> and over the planet. Yep. But um, with the- uh, actually, you know what? Looking outside right now, no, it's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, with the apocalypse and everything. Ah, oh, nah. <laughs> oh. Wishful but, um, thinking. Yep. <laughs> Wishful thinking. Yeah, with these. Oh, so. The interesting part with with these actresses, if they want to try and compete with this new machine god for I for I welcome these machine overlords, um, the actresses if they want to have a stand any chance for this to happen, they need to try to come up with something better, like create a better product. Like you know, this is capitalism. You know, that's what drive progress. Yeah, but how can you compete with a robot that well, doesn't take breaks, that doesn't sleep, that doesn't eat? 
does the job faster and better than you can. Well, they would have to improvise. I mean... There's a reason know. nobody makes cars by hand anymore, except maybe Ferrari or something, but there's... um, We don't... Nobody makes commodity cars by hand because it's cheaper and easier to use a robot to do it. But they added new features, though. Like, let's say, for example, the iPhone versus Samsung. Like, every time Apple Apple creates something, Samsung one-ups it by uh, adding some new stuff into their phones, you know? And Apple does the same. It's uh, one after the other. They're still the same product. They're not... It's not like Samsung... Or iPhone. So, like you're getting uh, an iPhone handmade by the finest uh, Chinese child slave artisans. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> boy, that that phone would cost very, 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 very expensive. Yeah, if that was and frankly, there's no way a human could make a phone. Yeah, like the components are just too ridiculously small for a human to do it with any sort of efficiency. But um, the one thing that I think um, actresses and also companies should should not do is basically insult the customers for not buying their product. Like that's the fastest way to lose a customer base. And if and and if they and if you if they do that, no matter how good their product is, nobody's gonna flip and buy it. Of course. Yeah. So this is Hollywood. I, They're not gonna listen to that. Yeah. Well, I hope the actress actresses and actors do not insult the marketplace like if you're an actress and you want people to come away from the virtual but come away from the virtual actress and actually come and watch your movies and if you want them to if you want to win over the customers just don't insult the fan base for not watching your movies it's hollywood they don't get that yeah so uh, it's funny though we're at the stage right now where in the timeline the 20 20 20th year of our lord uh actress and act Actors and actresses' job—it's uh, to provide entertainment. Uh, are even are getting outperformed by a machine that's doing better than them, and so the human actors and actresses are now obsolete, and they've been beaten by a machine. Uh, you know, How long be- before I can get a machine that does your job better than you? Ah, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Given as 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 long as the human eye is got, as long as it takes for the human eye to be perfected. I mean, I feel like most of the time I could just feed your articles into Cleverbot and get a reasonable response. <laughs> yeah. And I'll and then I'll join the um, and then I'll join the actors and actresses in Hollywood with tiki torches saying, you will not replace us. You will not replace us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we will. <laughs> and then and then and then you'll see me going like they took our jeebs. Welcome to the new world, Hollywood. <laughs> This can, is you imagine, guys. can you imagine all the Hollywood Hollywood actors and actresses all going like, they took our jeeps. They took our jeeps. I'm hoping Hollywood attracts smarter people than that, but probably doesn't. <laughs> nope, they won't. They probably would, but we, that'll be wishful thinking. But um, yeah, so they're saying here that over the few years we've watched the team of Brad create a true multi-hypernate in Michaela. Um, according to the um, CAA's global client, what's that strategy, word mean? Uh, a multi-platform, I say. Okay. Yeah, but um, yeah. So they're saying that we're ready to, we're excited to jump in and help her navigate the world of television and film, and also see a unique opportunity for innovative, forward-thinking brands to align with a 
culturally re- uh, relevant icon in the making. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this 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 sounds like one of those sleazy um, Hollywood agents, kind of like oh. I can make you a big superstar in the world. That's literally their job. <laughs> yeah. The one advantage is Harvey Weinstein has no power. Oh, oh, so but that, but when when now that you mentioned about how she's a with a culturally relevant icon in the making, well, they basically said that she is uh she's a social activist and change and inverted commas change seeker, where she uh highlighted issues ch- including challenging facing challenges facing homeless and displaced women, uh, people of color, LGBTQ people, and youth crisis. Okay, here I was thinking when you said that, that she was going to be a robot rights activist. <laughs> and it's going to get a bit, uh, a bit Detroit become human. Oh. Uh, in fact, interestingly enough, Time Magazine in 2018 has named her the tw- one of the 25 most influential people on the internet. Okay. Although it's going to be interesting. Uh, imagine Michaela goes, give me more. Give me more. We are not putting David Cage in charge of the virtual actress. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> that would be so horrible. Uh, I can imagine Michaela, Michaela memes. So uh, so moving along, uh, you've got a story for us, Professor. Well, I hope so, considering that's, like, my job here. <laughs> Don't worry, we won't replace you, Professor. We won't replace you. Yeah, well, my job can't replace me either, because the robots aren't as good at fixing computers as me yet. So, you've got a story about... Uh... Yes, Manchester United is suing Football Manager for infringing its trademarks. Even okay. though Football Manager has been using this trademark for... Just about thirty years now. Yeah, that it's a cool, it was a very nice game as well. Yeah, it's a it's a bit niche, but people like it. Yeah, but it's so Manchester United has decided they're going to sue Sega and Sports Interactive because the um the football manager games don't use the official Manchester United crest. Which if they hadn't used if they had used the crest, I'm sure they would have been sued for using the copyrighted image. They haven't used the crest, and now they're being sued for using the copyrighted image. What's the difference? Uh, that's just... Oh, that's just really weird, though. I mean, you're trying to get... Like, you're trying to get away with copyright, and this is, this is like a workaround. Yeah, which most games do. Like, Counter-Strike uses the... C90 instead of the P90. And so that wait, so are they trying to say that the workaround is still is still copyright infringement? Yeah. Wait, that's oh, that sounds so stupid. That sounds really stupid. And I like um, United's claim saying that this deprives the registered proprietor of the right to have a club crest club crest licensed. Well, yeah. So, do they have a right to that? I don't know. How far do you need to stretch it to? not be a copyright claim, I don't really know. But I think it's a bit silly that they've chosen to do this only 14 years after the... uh, Sorry, not 14 years. 30 years after the game came out. (laughs) Wow. Isn't there like a statute of limitations or something like that? Well, considering they're still making new football manager games, I think uh, the statute would get renewed. 
Oh. Now, the um, the other thing is, though, there's a thing called a generic trademark, which is what companies like Google and Band-Aid have a problem with. They don't like the idea of people using their brand name to refer to a product, because if enough people do that, they lose the rights to that trademark. Wait, what's that called again? The generic? Uh, generic, tr- genericized trademark. Okay. Yeah, so... Um, I think after 30 years of not complaining, they lose a right. They might not lose the right completely, but I don't think they can complain about what a football manager does at this point, considering they, they let it slide for 30 years. There's a lot of legal things where if you let something slide, it just doesn't um, doesn't fly anymore. And this also like this also comes into conflict with the whole fair use thing as well, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, I don't know how fair use here um you need to ask an ip lawyer for that but yeah um what is the fair use on using a public figure like a football team as a, a character in a game must be um it must be like a lot of um hang a second um, let me just find something let me just find it there must be something here uh fair use i think it depends on the country's fair use laws yeah, it probably does. But in in this instance, I think if I recall, there's a fair use law when it comes to YouTube stuff, but I'm not, I'm not sure with uh, gaming stuff as well. So, well, the majority of this stuff comes under US law because YouTube is hosted in the US, so it's a lot easier to get something done under US law than it is to bring a case against YouTube using, say, EU law or Australian law. Yeah. But here's the interesting part. So they've sent copies of the game to Manchester United for years, and there's been a number of positive press comments and tweets about the game by them. And the Manchester United club have used the football manager database for scouting and research purposes. (laughs) So not only have they let it slide for 30 years, they've been actively aware and taking advantage of this existing for 30 years. <laughs> so, wait, what? <laughs> well, maybe not 30 years for that, but, you know, once you start taking advantage of it, do you really have a right to complain? <laughs> this seems like a this seems like a scummy thing to do, though. Like... It does. The discussion seems to be around the idea that they're losing money right now because of um, the coronavirus and not being able to play but i think it's i think this is just a ridiculous frivolous lawsuit and i personally think it should be struck down because it um well they've let it slide they've taken advantage of the uh taken advantage of the product and data provided by the company and they've never complained about it so i think they should have should have taken action a long time ago if they had a problem from a game developer's standpoint how do you what 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 do you see as the biggest problem in this whole lawsuit mostly that they let it slide for so long and now they're coming off like imagine doing something and for 30 years thinking you got away with it and then having it come down like on a ton like a ton of bricks when what you did wasn't strictly illegal to begin with and the only reason it's an issue now is because they're out of money and they've decided to sue you to make money off you yeah uh, i like how um in, the, in this article, they're also saying that the barrister asked Mr. Justice John Morgan to allow the club to amend its claim against Sega and SI um, to include allegations involving the practice of supplying patches or mods, essentially downloadable files compl- um, containing replica trademarks 
which consumers then incorporate into the game. Ooh. Oh, so wait a minute. They're going after them because of mods. I think so, yeah. They say oh, to further... That in, is so wrong. Yeah. And they've also said that here... Um, They've argued that uh, argued Sega and SI encouraged the use of patches supplied by third parties by promoting the patch providers in various ways, and of course, they directly benefited from it by avoiding the need to take any licenses and enjoying the increased sales of their game. Modders are going to mod. You can't stop them doing that. So it's not right to go after a company because of the modders. And I don't want to see that happen because I don't want modders to get in trouble because of, well, I don't want companies to stop allowing modders because the modders are causing legal trouble. So this is basically like um, Nintendo all over again, isn't it? Yeah, I've been talking a bit about Nintendo's lawsuits recently. Yeah, and plus going against the modding committee, that isn't that that's a fool's errand by that in that in that sense, isn't it? Well, there's so many modders out there, and frankly, you take one modder down, someone else is gonna do it. And even if you don't, once it's on the internet, it's there forever. So if people were able to get mods for a game, you're not ever gonna be able to stop that happening. Yeah. And I'm also uh, here's another interesting um, here's another thing interesting thing. Sega and SI also prevented them using Manchester United's name uh, would amount to an unreasonable restraint on the right to freedom of expression to restrain the use of of the words Manchester United to refer to the team in the computer game. Yeah, that's another interesting one. Like, what right do developers have to refer to public image? Um, organizations and companies like that. See, here's an interesting thing. But so, if Manu was, to, if if Manu decides to sue Football Manager for a simplified version of this logo, then they should. Then I think Manu should should not not only go with Football Manager. They should also um, sue Pro Evo Soccer because Pro Evo Soccer does it every single time. But does Pro Evo Soccer have a um, a license? I don't think they have a license, if I recall. Give me a second. Then, yes, they should be going after any game that doesn't have a license. Give me a second. So, so fans have... So, in the editing part, so the Pez Stats database or Pez Stats, for examples of websites that are dedicated in, in creating actual stats for players, more experienced players often use patches editing the actual game code and modifying the graphical content to include ac- accurate kits for unlicensed teams, New stadiums and footballs from Nike Inc., Puma, Umbro, and Mitre, uh, okay, as well as so it's a mod. Yeah. So Pez uses mods, in which case they should be going after Pez as well. Yeah. Because that's what they're going part of what they're going after Football Manager for. Yeah. So Konami would be under it would be in deep strife as well now because this is this is um hashtag F Konami. <laughs> Still doing it. <laughs> oh, that would be, that's a new hashtag. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Anyway, <laughs> but yeah, this is oh, this is infringing our life, life things like modding and artistic freedom, and this yeah. 
Do, I think reckon... we're just going to give it time and see how this shakes out. Yeah, do you reckon this will this will have deep um, reverberations? It will, depending how it goes. It's lawsuits always do because lawsuits set a precedent, and, and the precedent can be used to make all sorts of arguments. Yeah. So it's a wait. So we'll wait and see for now. Yeah, wait and see. All right. Anyway, so so Professor, what game have you been playing? I've been playing Into the Breach. It's a sort of micro strategy by the creators of FTL that focuses on positioning and movement. So mm-hmm. instead of following a traditional turn-based, um, well, turn-based system, mm-hmm. you have a you drop into a map and have five turns or so to defeat the enemies or defend the uh, structures. And so the enemy phase begins with them choosing their attacks. You then have a chance to move, attack the enemy, push them out of the way, whatever. Then the enemy um, takes their attacks and then gets to move and position their attacks. So the enemy will set up an attacks targeting a building, and your job is then to defend that building by pushing the enemy out of the way. Most attacks have a knockback, so you shoot a... uh, shoot a, an artillery shell that will knock back a, a, enemies all around it or shoot an enemy with a tank and it will push them back one sp- spot. And you try to position yourself so that when you attack the enemy, you push it out of hitting any building when it attacks. So it's kind of like a turn-style um, Final Fantasy. Well, no, it's um, Final Fantasy is a JRPG style. This is more of a turn-based strategy. Like, uh, I'm trying to think of a good example. It's more like Advance Wars than anything else, I guess. But there's or no... X- or the XCOM games. Um, No, not really XCOM either. At least not modern XCOM. But um, yeah, considering you only have um, limited moves, like a limited number of turns, can't build new units. It's, oh, so, it's uh... a, so it's situational? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's... um. So when you drop into the map, there's a handful of enemies already spawned and more spawn over time. And your goal is to well, basically crowd control. You're pushing enemies away from buildings, killing a couple when you can, um, trying to block them spawning. So if you have an enemy sitting or one of your units sitting on a cell that an enemy is going to spawn in, it stops them spawning for one turn. So it, um, yeah, it's a really intense game, though, because there's so much to juggle. There's your unit's health. There's bonus objectives, like you'll be told, protect the factory or um, don't kill this one enemy that's going to, if you do kill it, it explodes and does extra damage. And you get bonus points at the end that you can spend on upgrading your mechs. Uh, but then the then if you let too many buildings get damaged, you lose the game and have to restart. So it's a roguelike. And the only thing that carries over is any surviving crew at the end of a um, at the end of a run, you can send one of them back in time. So the um, the plot is basically you're part of a time traveling crew of soldiers going back with your battle mechs to fight off a threat. And if you fail, you reset the timeline and try again. Um. So, what's the biggest flaw you've encountered in this game? Um, just that my nerves aren't up to it. Because, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's. One of the more stressful games I've played recently. I, I like the um, the graphics, the design of this game. Um, like it's like the like this graphic design. It's really cool. Yeah, it's got nice animations. Yeah, and uh, with this game, so it's situ- so when I said situ- I said situational earlier on. So how much, how many seconds yet do you have to do um, to make a decision before? As many as you want, but um, uh-huh. yeah. So it's turn based. So you have as long as you want. To- 
choice. But it's hard to anticipate the enemy, hey, in this yeah, game. Yeah, so you've got to anticipate where they're going to go and transition so that you can fight them off when they do go there. Um, the There's only like half a dozen turns in each battle. Mm-hmm. So often you'll end up in a situation where instead of killing enemies, you're just trying to knock them back so that they're not next to buildings, which then gets stressful because every turn that you don't kill an enemy is an extra enemy to deal with the next turn. Yeah, And with um, turn-based um, style games, do you ever... Um, so the, there are only two phases, I'm assuming, or is it multiple phases? Yeah, the two phases. Okay. So, yeah, the two phases. The player turn is normal. The uh, AI turn is um, sort of out of sync. So they move and choose their attacks, and you respond to their attacks. Then they attack and then get their next move phase, okay. which um, is what makes it really about the uh, you know the positioning and the knockback. Do you ever? Uh, so it's not grindy as um, most turn style turn based games can become. No, there's fairly limited experience, um, and enemies uh, don't. Like, it's not like you can go into an area and run the enemy. So there's only a couple of levels for your pilots to learn and the enemies don't have any levels at all the only thing that that applies to is the final battle which scales to your um your difficulty sort of so well how far you've gone so you can take the final battle when you're about halfway through the the run or you can choose to go on and try to save more civilians and um get better gear but it makes it clear that the final battle will scale to you. Okay. So, uh, how much, how many nerdy beanies would you give this game out of? Four out of five. Ooh, very nice, very nice. Yes, I think. Um, I mean, they've only done two games, but I love both games by this developer. Nice. What are you playing, DJ? I've been playing Alan Wake. It feels like a th- this game feels like a movie. It does, and it doesn't suck like a David Cage game. <laughs> Although Alan would be saying, give me more, <laughs> give me more. Yeah, don't put that, um, don't put that in my head. <laughs> well, so I finished um, episode one of Alan Wake. It was, it's interesting. It, it is interesting how the, the build up to it is basically, oh, he goes in this small town and he meets this random person. They give them the keys to this mat to this cabin and it, it feels like a well, it feels like one of those old horror movies like oh yes yeah it's definitely um a love letter to uh, david lynch and uh stephen king and all of that yeah although he does quote a lot of stephen king in this in, in this game okay yeah with um and um, so I'm still playing episode two, and it's interesting how. So basically, he finds out his his wife has been kidnapped, and he's asked this agent to um to help him out in trying to retrieve his wife. The funny part about that about that moment is basically he's um he shot his fr- he shot one of his um friends, and its body disappears. I'm like, okay, there has to be some there has to be something to this. Yeah, there is. Yeah. So you're about a sixth of the way through the game. I yep. And then there's a couple of DLC episodes and a sequel. Oh, there's a sequel. Yeah. Oh, this ought to be um, fun. Not as widely well regarded as the original, though. But Uh, they do, and it's not it's not a true sequel, really. It doesn't do much to expand the story. I think, but um. Also, it's kind of like a spiritual successor kind of thing. Yeah, it's the same character, but it doesn't. uh, It's not the same as um 
Alan Wake is. Although my uh, my biggest gripe with this game is when you deal with monsters, that I hate how the batteries r- run dry very quickly. And yeah. yeah oh, you, uh, my fi- the good part about this game is you do get the odd jump scare or two. Like sometimes when you turn around and the music just like whee- you're like oh shit <laughs> i love the music yeah oh, the music freaks you out um the other gripes with this game is there is so much monologuing in this game it's not funny yeah that's a thing um and oh and the odd and there's always you have to watch the the ripoff of the twilight twilight zone which is called the night episodes i think it's called the night, uh, series. night springs yeah, the Night Springs, that's what. Like, I, the first one I saw was Quantum Immortality. You don't have to watch it, but it is a nice uh, addition. Yeah. What was the the other one I saw was basically um, in The Man in the Mirror. That one was really freaky, though. How does that one go again? Uh, so it's a detective and he sees, a, it's a detect it's an agent. He talks to the guy in um, the police station and he's trying to get his confession and turns out that the guy he's getting the confession from is himself. Oh yeah. And the enemy, like the enemies in this game, uh, it, they're very annoying. Like they, like you try and dodge them and it, it, you can't dodge them as much, as fast as they can. When they throw weapons at you, like you can't really dodge it as fast as possible while trying to shine a torchlight. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't call that being uh, an issue, but when you try, like when you try and shine the torchlight, and they're tr- and while and they're also throwing the weapons at you, is getting it gets annoying. Like yeah, yeah, and and it's a trying to balance, like it's trying to balance three things at once, basically. Okay. Yeah, but it could be a problem because I'm using the mouse and ma- mouse and um, keyboard. Oh, that's how I did it. Um, Yeah. 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 Dodging is fun, though. (laughs) Yes, that works. Uh, I think the the mechanics work quite well, actually. Yeah. It's a bit of a cult classic, but um, it's obviously not for everyone. But I, but I'm, I am, I, I might play play this a, a lot more now, like just well, for the, just just to see the mystery end. It also ties into um, their uh, other games, Quantum Break and Control. Okay, but um, I don't recommend playing those two until you've done Alan Wake because the references in them are kind of spoilers. Okay, okay. I might try. I might try um, Control at, at some point, but yeah. There are also. Uh, a couple of references to Max Payne, which is their previous game. Yeah, the bu- uh, the bullet time refer the bullet time references would be one of them. Like when you fire a flare gun and it explodes, like the bullet time there. Well, mostly um, some of the pages you find. Are oh yeah, detective, the ma- and it's clearly um, referencing Max Payne, which at the time they didn't have the rights to Max Payne anymore. Yeah, they sold them to Rockstar. Yeah, I think um. With Mac, with the manuscripts as well, they some are interesting, some are just wow. Yeah, and some of them actually um, sort of preempt events in the story. Yeah, so I think it's got a really interesting narrative device in it. Yeah, I would give this game a three and a half out of five. All right, so what are our shout outs this week? Actually, give me a second. Um, just need to find it quickly. Uh, actually, no. I changed my mind. I'll ch- I'll, I'll give this one four out of five. Good like man. The last time. Sorry. <laughs> and to be clear, I'm not holding a gun to his head. <laughs> it's just a very good game. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I like the uh, the Mexican uh, mariachi music they play after every episode. Uh they don't play that after every episode. Actually, each episode has its own 
um, own credits music. Yeah, the episode one was mariachi music. I was like, that's so weird. It's so awkward. <laughs> Your wife is being kidnapped. Why do you want to play mariachi music? Yeah. It also has some absolutely gorgeous environments and lighting. I actually oh. wouldn't mind seeing a remaster of better mm-hmm. lighting. But that's another topic for another day. So Yeah, we yeah. should move along because we're running along anyway. Yep. So um, sh- to our shout-outs, on the 22nd of May 2020, Pac-Man turns 40. Uh, this yellow dude with an insatiable appetite for power pellets is turning 40, having racked up everything from sales records to breakfast cereal. And this, there is no gamer icon who is more recognizable or who has done more to bring gaming to the front of the collective cultural mind. Pac-Man's raison d'etre is chomping dots. And Iwatawa says food was central to the design of the character. As he thought about how to design a game that would attract female players, he thought about how much his wife loved to eat dessert. The verb eat began the thought process that led to this game. You reckon he was in the doghouse after? (laughs) I think so. I think so. The uh, original name for Pac-Man in Japan was Pac-Man. Midway Games, which distributed the title in the the US, which uh, changed it to Pac-Man so vandals wouldn't cut out the part of the K to create something that didn't fit in a Uh, family-friendly... part of the P. Yeah, part of the P. Sorry, thank you. Yes. Uh, To create something that didn't fit into the family-friendly arcade. Uh, The name Puck came from the Japanese expression Puck Puck, which loosely translates to munch munch uh when pac-man made its debut on may the 22nd 1980 video games were largely considered a boys club uh created creator toru iwatani in a panel presentation at gdc 2011 said he wanted to create a game to change that uh the reason i created um i created pac-man was because we wanted to attract female gamers, he says. People had to go to the arcade center to play games. That was a playground for boys. It was dirty and smelly. So we wanted to include female ge- players so it would become cleaner and brighter. <laughs> so I feel it- like he's having a bit of a go at people there. Yeah. So by his logic, he just basically created an early version of Candy Crush. No, because Candy Crush appeals to middle-aged I feel like this was targeted more at uh, teenage girls to get them to the arcade. Fair enough. On the uh, 22nd of May 2020, Perfect Dark also turns... Perfect... Another game um, turned... Had a big milestone. Perfect Dark. It turned 20. So Rare Limited's Nintendo 64 classic Perfect Dark turned 20 years old. Released on 22nd of May uh, 2000, the game was Rare's follow-up to GoldenEye 007. Rare... Originally intended to make another Bond game, but was outbid by Electronic Arts. Instead, Red decided to develop their own franchise, introducing the world to protagonist Joanna Dark. The resulting game was a massive success, and a prequel was released on Xbox 360. Although critics widely praised its graphics, artificial intelligence, and number of multiplayer options, they frequently criticized its occasional frame drop rates. Uh, the game received the BAFTA in- Interactive Entertainment Moving Images Award for 2000 and the Golden Satellite Award for Best Interactive Product in 2001. The game is, oca- is occasionally cited as one of the greatest video games of all time. A remaster, also titled Perfect Dark, featuring enhanced graphics and online multiplayer, was released in 2010. 
that was a good game, and I I love that game, especially when you're playing with the multiplayer. Okay, I played uh, GoldenEye, but never that one. Oh, you, you it was fun. You 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 missed it. You missed that. It was fun. Like okay. the. There are some interesting quirks in in Perfect Dark. Like you are one of the characters you meet is is a character called Elvis the Alien. Okay then. <laughs> I think they were taking the piss, but it was funny. <laughs> um, what what uh, my my best experience when it comes to um this game was me and my friend we we played the final boss and we we lose every time, and then we took a hiatus for I think like a year or two then we decided okay let's finish this game <laughs> and we wow. finally finished it and we were like yes the hoodoo has ended <laughs> oh it was it, it was a it, it was like um when it was like finishing a long assignment <laughs> oh but it took a long time just to finish that game i'm glad you pulled it off oh but with the multiplayer like there was some that was a fu- that that's a fun game in itself uh where you, there are a couple of sims you have to play against, and yeah, the the most hated one is Venge Sim, basically. But uh, anyway, you still have we, a copy? Uh, I I think my friend my friend has a copy of that game. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was gonna say when Rona's completely over, I'll come over and you can show me since I've missed out so much. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so moving along, on the twenty second of May, twenty twenty, uh, Berlin. T- Berlin World War II bombing survivor Satin the Alligator dies in Moscow Zoo. So uh, after hatching in Mississippi, Satin soon brought was soon brought um, brought in brought to Germany, resigning at the Berlin Zoological Garden. It was here that his association with Adolf Hitler originated, as Hitler reportedly enjoyed visiting the uh, zoo and especially liked the alligator. It was from this period that the popular rumor emerged that Satin was Adolf Hitler's pet. This may have been originated with the um, author Boris Akunin, a Russian um, writer who hypothesized in an article that this may be the case. In actuality, he was not part of Hitler's, he was not Hitler's pet, but was a public display at the zoo. And um, so during the uh, World War II, much of Berlin Zoo was destroyed, and of uh, the zoo, 1,600 animals, only 96 have survived, and uh, 20 to 30 alligators and crocodiles were, survived, uh, were killed. <laughs> So Saturn was the lucky one. Yeah, he was discovered by British soldiers three years after the um, after the whole whole war. And interestingly, he Wait, sur- three years. There was an alligator crawling around. My- <laughs> Sorry, Berlin for three years. <laughs> yep, that would have been horrifying. <laughs> Why does it remind me of that whole story? There's a monster. There's an alligator under my bed. What was Saturn eating for three years? I know, maybe, uh, maybe a good, a healthy diet of corpses, uh, um, canned foods. Um, you know, an alligator's stomach is tough. <laughs> you don't like, you don't like the prospect, do you? I don't like the idea of a <laughs> killing <laughs> machine wandering around the city. <laughs> yeah, so could have, yeah. could have been a saltwater croc. Yep, so it survived wandering around the city in search of food, and the British then gave the alligator to the Soviets in 1946. He lived in the Moscow Zoo until the 22nd of May 2020, where he died of old age. Uh, on the 23rd of, 23rd of May uh, 2020... Did you get Ross- those numbers right this time? 
Yep. <laughs> 23, 23rd of May 2020. Lost uh, series finale turned 10. So this uh, series finale, the end was a grippingly divisive chapter in modern pop culture history. Uh, to unpack how the series navigated the minefield of fan expectations while battling the network for direction, Lost's conclusion was rockier than most fans at home realized. From the very beginning of the show's development, the Lost title was meant to have double meaning. Yes, the characters themselves were physically lost in the world of, of the uh, mysterious island, but more crucially, they were each spiritually lost in their own lives. Um, the end polarized audiences deeply. Several critics named it the worst series finales of all time, while others called it the most underrated masterpiece. Uh, regardless of the ongoing debate, the end lost um, as, a, as a whole remained one of the most acclaimed television shows in history and the most confusing of all. Anyways, to our uh, remembrances, on the 25th of May 1939, Sir Frederick Dyson, uh, English astronomer, and uh, he was the man that was behind introducing the time signals, the pips, from Greenwich, uh, England, and for the role he played in proving Einstein's theory of general relativity. In uh, 1928, he introduced in the observatory a new free, pend- free pendulum clock, the most accurate clock available at that time, and organized the regular wireless transmissions from the GPO tra- wireless stations at Rugby of Greenwich Mean Time. And uh, he also credited for organizing expeditions to observe the 1919 solar eclipse at Brazil and Principe, uh, which he somewhat optimistically began preparing for prior to the armistice of the of 11th of November 1918. He presented his observations of the solar eclipse of the May, of May 29, 1919 to a jo- joint meeting at the Royal Society of Royal Astronomical Society on 6th of November 1919. Uh, these observations confirmed Einstein's theory of the effect of gravity on light, which until that time had been received with some skepticism by the scientific community. Dyson died on board of a sh- on board a ship at the age of 71 while traveling from Australia to England in 1939 and was buried at sea. On the 25th of May 1981, Ruby Pine Scott... But check out Dyson's mustache. <laughs> Very cool mustache. And look at the hair, too. So, 25th of May 1981, Ruby Pine Scott... Uh, Ruby but. Ruby Violet Pine Scott, Australian pioneer in radio physics and radio astronomy, and was the first female radio astronomer. On the 18th of August 1941, Pine Scott joined the radio physics laboratory of the Australian government's Commonwealth Scientific and Industrial Research Organization, or CSIRO in short. During World War II, she was engaged in top secret work investigating radar technology, becoming Australia's expert on the detection of aircraft using Plan Positioning Indicator, or PPI, displays. After the war in 1948, she published a comprehensive report of, on factors affecting visibility on PPI displays. Uh, in 2018, the New York Times wrote a belated obituary for her, detailing her, how her work helped lay the foundation for a new field of science called radio astronomy. In 2008, CSIRO acknowledged Pine Scott's contribution to science and established the Pine Scott Award in de- intended for researchers returning from family-related career breaks. She died from complications of dementia at the age of 68 in Montdale, New South Wales. Uh, 25th of May 1981, Frederick Warburg. Frederick John Warburg, uh, British publisher and best known for his association with the author George Orwell. During a 
career spanning a large part of the 20th century and ending in 1971, Warburg published um, Orwell's Animal Farm as well as 1984 and works um, by other leading figures such as Thomas Mann and Franz Kafka. Um, other notable publications include The Third Eye by Lobsang Rampa, Pierre Bell's uh, The Bridge Over the River Kwai, Adolf Hitler's Mein Kampf, and William Schreier's uh, the Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. Uh, Warburg stated his publish- started his publishing career in 1922 as an apprentice at Rutledge & Sons, where he undertook tutelage of William Swan St- Stully Brass, a man he's uh, regarded as the greatest pub- um, social- scholar publisher of his day. Um, after Stully Brass died, he became dissatisfied with Rutledge and he was dismissed. Um, the firm he created, known as... Um, uh, Sek- Secker and Warburg uh, became renowned for its independent left-wing position, uh, both become being both anti-fascist and anti-communist, which is which put at loggerheads for many intellectuals at the time. Uh, he died from congestive heart failure at the age of 82 in London. And for our fam- so for our famous birthdays, uh, 25th of May 1865, Peter Zeeman, a uh, Dutch physicist who shared the 1902 Nobel Prize in physics with Heinrich Loretz for his discovery of the Zeeman effect. And this happened in 1986, shortly before moving um, from Leiden to Amsterdam, where he measured the splitting of spectral lines by the um, strong magnetic field. A discovery now known as the Z-Man effect, for he for which he won the uh, the prize in physics. Uh, the research involved an investigation of the uh, magnetic fields on a light source. He discovered that the spectral lines is split into several components in the presence of a magnetic field. The importance of, the, of Z-Man's discovery soon became apparent. It confirmed Heinrich Lorenz's prediction about the polarization of light emitted in the presence of a magnetic field. Thanks to Z-Man's work, it became clear that the oscillating particles that, according to Lorenz, were the source of light emissions were negatively charged and were a thousandfold lighter than the hydrogen atom. This conclusion has reached well before Thomson's discovery of the electron. The Z-Man effect if, um, thus became an important tool in elucidating the structure of the atom. He was born in Zonamir. And check out that mustache of Z-Man there. That's another very good mustache. Oh, yes. On the 25th of May, 1889, Igor Sikorsky, Igor Ivanovich Sikorsky, um, Russian American, Russian-American aviation pioneer in both helicopters and fixed-wing aircraft. His first success came with the S-2, the uh, second aircraft of his design and construction. The fifth aircraft, airplane, S-5-1M, the in that won him national recognition as well as FAI license number 64. His S6A um, received the highest award in 19, at the 1912 Moscow Aviation Exhibition, and in the fall of that year, the aircraft won for its, for its younger design, builder, and pilot um, first prize in the military competition at St. Petersburg. After immigrating from the United States in 1919, Asak Sarkozy founded the Sarkozy Aircraft Company in 1923 and developed the first of the uh, Pan American. I realize it's Sikorsky, not Sikorsky. Ah, uh, okay. However, you're saying it. Thank you, Sikorsky. Thank you. Uh, developed the first Pan American Airways cross flying um, flying boats, crossing flying boats in the 1930s. In 1939, Sikorsky um, designed and flew the. Vo- Boat Sikorsky VS-300, the first viable American helicopter which pioneered the 
rotor configuration used by most helicopters today. Sikorsky modified the uh, design into Sikorsky R4, which became the world's first mass-produced helicopter in 1942. He was born in Kiev. Uh, 25th of May, 1944, Frank Oz. Frank Richard Oz now was... Oh, I'm not going to pronounce that. Yes, you are. Uh, Oz now was... Osnowis, think. Thank you. I think so. Yeah. Osnowis. That's a tongue twister. Uh, American (laughs) American actor, puppeteer, director, and producer. He began his uh, career as puppeteer, performing Muppet characters of Miss Piggy, Fozzie Bear, Animal, and Sam Eagle in The Muppet Show and Cookie Monster, Bert, and Grover in Sesame Street. He's best known for the role of Yoda in the Star Wars series, providing the voice of the ca- for the character in several films and TV series. His work as a director include uh, A Little Shop of Horrors, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, The Score, and Death at a Funeral. Uh, Oz perf- has performed as a Muppet performer for s- in over 75 productions, including Labyrinth, video releases, and television specials, as well as countless other public appearances, uh, episodes of Sesame Street, and other Jim Henson series. So with the Yoda, um, with his appearance uh, as Yoda, uh, Jim Henson um, ha- had been originally contacted by Lucas for before prof- possibly performing as Yoda. Henson uh, was preoccupied, instead suggesting Oz to be uh, suge- assigned as um, chief puppeteer for the character, as well as the creative consultant. Oz performed the puppet and provided the US the voice for Yoda in The Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, Star Wars ep- Episode One: The Phantom Menace, and Star Wars The Last Jedi. Oz had a great deal of creative input on the character and was himself responsible for creating the character's trademark syntax. He was born in Hereford, um, Herefordshire. Oh, speaking of... Uh, uh, lab- oh, thank you. Speaking of uh, Labyrinth, did you, got, did you hear about the latest news? With uh, aftermath, uh, yeah, uh, with, with labyrinth. I mean, I'm not not too happy. I really? don't think, yeah, I don't think a labyrinth sequel is going to get the magic right. You know, I'm a huge Bowie fan, but the first I didn't like it. I think probably because it was assigned viewing for a high school thing. But I know Bowie's. Got, I, I, I know Bowie won't be in in this one. But like, it's uh, but this is Hollywood. <laughs> what can I say? Like, yeah, but it's not going to have Bowie or Jennifer Connelly or Jim Henson. Wait, I thought I thought Jennifer Connelly is going to be in it. Is she oh, okay? Hang a second, let me see. Uh, Lisa Henson is pro- Lisa Henson is producing. Uh, yeah. Oh, they haven't done any cast. Pro- they haven't done any cast thing though. So can Lisa pull it off though? Is she going to actually follow? Can she follow up Jim Henson? Oh, that's a very that's a very because good question. There are dozens of cases of family members taking not following up. Yeah. yeah, I don't think it's going to like half the magic of that movie was David Bowie. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Who would you like to see though? Like, and play as Bowie's character? Um, well, Tilda Swinton could pull off a uh, a Bowie look. She wouldn't sound like him, but she could pull off his look. I want to see Johnny Depp pull it off. Yeah, uh, I think Johnny Depp's too typecast. Oh yeah, that's true. He yeah, that's true. That's true. Maybe they might put maybe they might put some someone else. <laughs> hey, imagine Joaquin Phoenix as Bowie's character. Mm, I mean, he did maybe. pull it off. I mean, he did pull it off well with the Joker. I mean, he could do it well. Yeah, maybe. 
Huh. Anyway, so uh, finally to our events of interest, on the 25th of May, 1895, Oscar Wilde arrested for indecency. So uh, the writer Oscar Wilde is sent to prison after being con- convicted of sodomy. Uh, the famed writer of Dorian Gray and the importance of being earnest brought attention to his to his private life in a feud with Sir John Sholto Douglas, whose son was intimately involved with Wilde. Uh, homosexuality was a crime, was a criminal offense, and a serious social social taboo. Man, it's the- crazy how many great British people went to jail yeah. for being gay back then. Yeah. Like Oscar Wilde, um, Turing, and they all seem to end up killing themselves. Yeah, so sad. Yeah, at the uh, at the first trial, he was he he was cross examined extensively on the love that the that dare not speak its name. Uh, Wilde managed to secure a mistrial when a lone juror refused to uh con- refused to vote to convict. The second trial began on the May, on May twenty second twenty first. Although many of the potential witnesses refused to betray Wilde by testifying, he was convicted. The judge remarked at. at at his sentencing, it is the worst case I've ever tried. I shall pass the severest sentence that the law that the law allows. In my judgment, it is totally inadequate for such a case as this. The sentence of the court is that you will be imprisoned and be kept to hard labor for two years. Man, if imagine put, imagine having a lawsuit like this in modern standards. Oh man, there'll be so much scrutiny. Yeah, it would not fly these days. We're a lot more accepting of gay people now. Oh yeah, yeah. I, 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 I agree with that. But oh, here's a uh, thought. Actually, uh, back on the topic about labyrinth, I've just seen yeah. a tweet. Jennifer Connolly as um, the new Goblin King. Oh, yeah, I'm going to throw that in the show notes because there's a quote there. For my will is as strong as your kingdom is great. You have no power over me. Oh. That'd be interesting. Very yeah. interesting idea. Nice. Okay, so on the 26th of May, 1897, Dracula goes to sail in London. So the first copies of the classic uh, vampire novel Dracula by Irish writer Bram Stoker appeared in London bookshops on May the 26th, 1897. It earned him literary fame. Um, literary fame and become known as the masterpiece of Victorian era gothic literature. Written in the form of diaries uh, and journals of its main characters, Dracula is the story of a vampire who makes his way from Transylvania, a region of Eastern Europe, now in Romania, to Yorkshire, England, and preys on innocents there to get the blood he needs to live. Stoker had originally named the vampire the vampire, Count Wampire. <laughs> Can you imagine he broke that name instead of Dracula? That would have been like, I am so, I regret naming that. <laughs> yes, when um, it's now um, he, Dracula as in the son of Dracul, as in Vlad Dracul. Yep. The um the Vlad the Impaler. Yep. <laughs> that was a smart business decision at the time. <laughs> A much better decision than Wampire. <laughs> I think he was trying to be a comedian, but he failed. <laughs> All right, so vampires who left their uh, burial places at night to drink the blood of humans were popular figures in folktales from ancient times, but Stoker's uh, novel capitulated them into the mainstream of 20th century literature. Late 20th century literature examples of the vampire craze include the best-selling novels of American writer Anne Rice and the cult TV series Buffy the Vampire Slayer. The 21st century saw the wildly popular 
Twilight films and book series. We all know what happened after that. How did we go from Dracula to Twilight? <laughs> Simple. Fan fiction. <laughs> and then by extension, that fan, fi- fan fiction of Twilight turned into Fifty Shades of Grey. Ah, uh, no, I don't want to think about that. That was a horrible, horrible movie and a series of in itself. Uh, How would you even watch it? I did. I didn't watch it. I just the 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 only thing that that surprised me from that statistic was it beat the Bible as bestseller for one day. How? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I assume maybe seller bestseller of that particular day. Yep. Yeah, but uh, I don't know. It's uh, <laughs> let's move on before it breaks yep. my brain. Yep. So on the twenty fifth of May, twenty ten, a fireball was released in Italy, and uh, so this burned up the sh- the charts of the home video marketplace. The feature starred Ian S- Somerhalder and Lexa Doig, and here's the plot summary: Tyler, the fused Draven, is a pro former pro linebacker who has finally hit rock bottom. Draven has been caught using steroids and is no longer allowed to play pro football. If that's not enough, he has a news reporter constantly harassing him, waving a camera in his face. After attacking the news reporter, Tyler is sent to prison, and one would think that would be the end of this man's story. However, a fire erupts in the prison and melds with the steroids in Draven's bloodstream, causing him to suddenly be controlled be able to control heat and fire. Now everybody is gonna pay. Sounds like a cliche. It sounds like a cliche movie. It does. <laughs> it sounds like it might even be so bad it's good. <laughs> I mean, it was popular, so it must have been so bad it's good. Uh, in, in, in the show notes, I've also included um, the reviews and whatnot. And some of the stories, it's even funnier, like, uh, uh, what was it? Oh yeah, it's some it even um ex- expands the story. So like, uh, he blows up a car along the way. He j- escapes from the hospital, and now two agents are chasing after him. So <laughs> okay, might have to check that one out. Yep. Uh, so uh, anything else before we uh before we end the episode? Uh no. Um, where can they find us, DJ? Uh, they can find us on Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram. All of our details will be in our show notes. Uh, they can find us also on uh, that'snotcanon.com where we have an archive of our old episodes and merchandise. And where you can also find out um, a couple of the new That's Not Canon podcasts that are coming out as well, such as uh, the new romance one, which is called Love Stranger. So this one is basically um, exploring the unlikely random se- interactions between strangers. A very nice, inter- that's a very interesting title. Yeah, might uh, go listen to a couple of episodes of that tonight. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, that's uh, that's all we have for this week. Uh, take care of yourselves, stay hydrated, and see ya. See you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. 
Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.